All right, let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we implore you to bless and sanctify us as we study your word. Drive from us the snares of the evil one and send your holy angel to guard, protect, visit, and defend us. Mercifully hear our prayers, and when our last hour comes, grant us safe haven in your heavenly mansions. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, so here's what I have planned. Um, I've got sort of three things on my list that I want to talk about, but, I, but first, maybe do you, anybody have any questions? Anything, anything we need to talk about before we get started? No. Okay, perfect. <laughs> uh, the first thing I want to do is I want to show you something. I, I had a question. Somebody asked me about online Bibles, and I just wanted to show you. You probably are all familiar with this, but um, the question was, what do I use for online Bibles? So let me show you over here on my other screen. Um, most of the time when I'm looking for uh, Bible passages, especially for copying and pasting, I use this site, esv.org. And that's got the same Bible version that we use here in church. Um, and it's great for cutting and pasting, which is good. We're um, on, we're on Another, another Bible ver uh, website that's really handy is BibleGateway.com. And one of, the one of the things that's great about this, you may not know this, is that um, so we use uh, the English Standard Version, ESV, yeah. in church. But there's a new version of the Bible that just came out recently. It's called the Evangelical Heritage Version. The Evangelical Heritage Version. And Bible Gateway has that version on their website. And it's really, it's really a good version. It was, it was published by some folks in the Wisconsin Synod. Um, so we, we got a, uh, used to have a really close relationship with the Wisconsin Synod and it's still um, a, a pretty close relationship. And they produced this version of the Bible, the Evangelical Heritage Version. And it's, um, it's pretty good. Most of the time, it's just like what you'd be familiar with. Um, let's see here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So that sounds just like the ESV. But in other places... Um, it's a little bit different and it's, it's much more readable. So, um, if you're curious, it's always fun to go and look at different Bible versions and see what they, see what they say. Uh, anyway, I wanted to just share that with you so that, uh, in answer to the question that I'd, I'd gotten, uh, about, about Bible versions. So, um, okay. Any, any questions? Tell me this. I, so somebody asked me, this is my second item on my list. Um, the question is, when Jesus comes again, uh, when he comes again, when he returns, how do we recognize him? How will we know who Jesus is? And this question comes up because I, I guess, um, given coronavirus and government intervention and uh, are hearing on the news, there's a lot of sort of suspicion about uh, whether this is the end of the world, whether these are the end times. I'm curious whether you've heard, whether you've heard anything like that. Um, anybody, any of that sound familiar to you? No? Is that kind of some of the, no, it's not. Okay. No. <laughs> no. No. Okay. Well, in any case, it's, it's a timely question because, you know, whenever big world changing things happen, you know, there's a war or, um, all kinds of things happen and again at the same time there's earthquakes and there's famine and there's floods and all these things 
it's very instinctive for us to remember those parts of the Bible that highlight those things and say, well, hey, you know, should I be paying closer attention here? Should I be seeing these as signs that the world is ending? And if you look at the book of Revelation, I've never done a Bible study on Revelation, and I've, I've never done it intentionally because it's, it's really confusing. <laughs> and um, and it's, hard to, it's hard to do well because uh, it's very, very symbolical, and it's very difficult for us to read because we tend to be really literal about things. And so, by and large, the way that the world tends to interpret the book of Revelation is um, that it's a prediction about the future and that you should look for certain things and then you'll know, then you'll know what's going to happen. If you can kind of discover the secrets, if you can decode the book of Revelation, then you'll know what's going to happen in the future. But that's, that's not at all what the book of Revelation is about. It's not a book of secrets about the future, um, but it's telling us what's going on behind the scenes. What's going on behind the scenes that we can't see in the world around us as Jesus has battled the devil. And then we get all the way to the book, to the end of the book of Revelation, uh, in Revelation chapter 20, and we have this interesting turn of phrase about the millennium. You've probably heard about the millennium uh, quite a bit. It's a very popular topic among evangelicals. Hey, Doug and Dorothy, good to see you. Hi, yeah. a little technical difficulty here, but we got it worked out. You got it working, okay. We're talking about uh, the end times and how we recognize Jesus when he comes again. And one of the things I want to point out is that a lot of the confusion about the end times is a misunderstanding about, of the book of Revelation. So the book of Revelation tells us about what's going on behind the scenes in the spiritual world that we can't see with our eyes. We experience some of it, and we've always experienced it. All of the wars and the pestilence and famine and bloodshed and turmoil in the world is all always been evidence of the fact that the world is coming to an end. In fact, if you got your Bibles handy, open up, open up with me to Matthew chapter 24. <laughs> Matthew chapter 24. And I want to just take a look at this. Uh, and the, thing, the, the single point I want to make about the end of the world is that we recognize Jesus at the end of the world in the same way that we've always recognized him. Uh, this Sunday is Good Shepherd Sunday. We hear about Jesus saying, I am the Good Shepherd. And it's a very helpful passage for us because the way that you recognize your shepherd is by his voice. So at the end of time and now and any time, the way we recognize our shepherd, the way we recognize Jesus is by his voice. So by hearing his word. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means in just a bit. But I want to look at, at Matthew chapter 24. Um, just to get a sense of what Jesus says is going to happen uh, in the coming days. Now, Genesis or Matthew chapter 24 is, comes right before Jesus' crucifixion. So Matthew chapter 26 contains the Last Supper, and then he's crucified in chapter 27, and then he rises in chapter 28. So chapter 24 is right near the end. And near the end, uh, his, his disciples are curious about what's going to happen. So verse three, chapter 24, verse three, they say, actually, let me, let me do this. Let me pull it up over here so you can read along with me on the screen too. Matthew 24, verse three. Okay, so Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him and said, 
tell us when these things will be and what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age. So the disciples, you know, they're just like us. <laughs> they want to know, they want to know what's going to happen. They want to know the secrets. They want to know, they want insight and they want to figure out what's going to happen. Um, and Jesus gives them some of what they're interested in. He says, see that no one leads you astray. Excuse me. Yes. Pastor, sorry. Um, you're not showing your screen. Okay. There we go. How's that? Better? Yes. Okay. So here we go. See that no one <coughs> leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Okay, so that's the concern. It's like, when Jesus comes again, how am I going to tell the difference between him and all of the false Christs? You know, how can I be sure that I'm not going to be led astray by a false Christ? That's a good question to ask, okay? And we'll, I want to talk a little bit more about exactly how you tell the difference in a minute. But let's look at some more of the things that Jesus says. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. That's really helpful for us. You know, anytime we feel like the world is falling apart, what does Jesus say? He says, well, these things have to happen, right? And if you, if you, you know, back up your perspective a little bit and look at history as a whole, you say, look, the world has always been in war. People have, nations have always risen up against nation. They've always fought against each other. There's always been war and bloodshed. And in fact, you know, devastatingly so, right? So think about World War I and World War II. Think about all of these world empires, the Roman Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greeks, um, that just were utterly destructive. Um, it's always been the case. And it's, it's helpful to know that our sensitivity to war and turmoil in the world, our sensitivity is good because we know that that's not how things are supposed to be. People aren't supposed to be fighting with one another. Nations aren't supposed to be at odds with each other. They ought to be at peace. But because of sin in the world, this is the way things are going to be. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Okay, So there's a, an interesting image that Jesus brings in, this image of, of birth pains. Um, it's an image that's used in other places, that, the, that all creation is groaning. It's like a, a mother in labor, waiting, anticipating for the redemption that's coming. Um, but there's pain, lots of pain to come in the meantime. And that's what all of these things are. Um, but there's, there's an interesting clue here as to what's going on, especially this bit about earthquakes. Uh, if you remember what happened at the crucifixion when Jesus was crucified, there were some signs, some really startling signs, in fact. Um, as he was on the cross, the sky was darkened. There was darkness all over the land from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. I mean, that's a startling sign, right? And then the earth trembled. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks were split. And there it is. So here we have already some earthquakes, right? There have been earthquakes throughout history. But here are earthquakes in particular surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus. And that tells us something really important about the crucifixion of Jesus. That when Jesus dies on the cross, it is the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. And it's a good thing. It's the beginning of the birth pains. What do the birth pains mean? It means that your time of waiting is over. It means that delivery is coming, right? It means that there's going to be some pain, but at the end, there will be such joy that makes you forget the pain. And that's why... Um, 
talking about the end of the age is not a terrifying thing for Christians. Um, it's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. And, and these signs, although they are disastrous as far as the world is concerned, they are the signs of our salvation, the signs of our hope finally covering, coming. But then Jesus goes on. Look at what he says next. They, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Okay, so there's, there's things that have to happen first before the end will come. And it includes tribulation for, his, for Christ's followers being put to death. Those were things that the disciples already experienced. All the disciples except for John were martyred. They were put to death for the faith. They were hated by the nations because of their faith. Any questions so far? Everybody tracking? Yes. I, I was just saying that um, I feel that in, the, in my lifetime, in the last uh, probably five years or so, things have changed so much uh, to the evil part in this world that I just feel it's, it's getting, I mean, I, I, growing up, I've never had things like this before, like what's going on now. Yeah. And it's uh, it's kind of you can see the signs are coming and people are hating each other and and so forth. It's it's not good. Yeah, it it certainly isn't. And I think that to some degree, every generation um, has experiences like that where they say, "Boy, this has got to come to an end soon because things are getting out of hand." Right? <laughs> things are out of control. Yeah. Um, Jesus is going to talk in just a, in just a bit here about what things were like right before the flood. And it was the same, the same kind of sense that you just described, you know, like people hating each other, people living godless lives. And you say to yourself, well, this has got to come to an end. And um, there's, two, there's two things I want to point out about that. One is, um, it's true, it's got to come to an end. And we, we do well to pray what we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, right? Uh, Maranatha, come Lord quickly, right? Uh, because all of this evil in the world is no good. But then the flip side of it is, why would God delay? Why does he wait? Why doesn't he come right now? Why doesn't he intervene right now? What do you think? I think he just wants to have save as many souls as he can to come yeah. to Christ. That's what I'm thinking. He wants so. to have more people believe. That's exactly right. Yeah. He's investing yeah, us. There's yeah. that too. Yeah, absolutely. What does it do for Christians to suffer tribulation? Well, it sharpens us. It makes us stronger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's not even sanctity for life anymore. I mean, for abortion, it's just become almost, I mean, I, I just, that to me, I just can't fathom how they, people just are, are willing to, to kill a child after yeah. it's been born. I mean, I've just, that's just gotten really, that has really gotten me to my core. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think one of the, one of the ways that that has, um, Takes, takes a new shape in our generation is how it is so commonplace and, under, and thought to be a good thing, you yeah. know, right? And that's, this, is, uh, this is so helpful. Um, this plays into what, what I want to say next about recognizing Jesus. Okay, can you hear me? Raise your hand if you can hear me. 
Okay, good. If you have a question, raise your hand and then I will, or you want to say something, raise your hand and I'll unmute you. Okay, or you can unmute yourself. All right. Because um, I don't want to just be given a monologue here. I want to hear what you have to say too. But the, but the important thing um, there is, is recognizing Jesus. So the world that we live in and the devil and our flesh, uh, we can recognize it in one really valuable way in that uh, we instinctively call good things bad and bad things good. Okay. So when you think about what happened in the Garden of Eden, uh, how everything got flipped upside down, right? The, uh, the people, Adam and Eve, they believed the devil instead of believing God. They uh, listened to the devil instead of listening to God. Um, they said that eating the fruit was good when God said that the eating fruit, the fruit was bad, right? Things get flipped upside down. And that's uh, what happened to the world ever since, right? Um, in fact, uh, it is the, the, one of the best descriptions of what's wrong with us is that we call evil good and good evil. And so recognizing that requires a complete change in thought. It requires a new spirit, in fact. That's why we, the, the spirit that we receive from God in baptism, the spirit of adoption as children of God, is so important for us because it lets us recognize good for good and evil for evil. It lets us hear from Jesus' voice what is, what, what is good and what is evil. Um, but the world that we live in right now, as you've, as you've so aptly said, you know, calls good things evil and evil things good. And that's a sign of just what, what a terrible state the world is in. Um, now, you know, there's a question about like whether the world is getting worse or not. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure that we could say that it's necessarily getting worse. I think that we feel it, right? We feel it change and we're surprised or amazed at the new ways that people come up with to be wicked. People, be, they discover new ways to be wicked all the time. I mean, it's just like, is there no end to our imagination? But at the same time, it's like Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun, right? And um, I think that every generation has had that same sort of experience where you, where you look at the world and you say, this, this can't go on for much longer. Um, and that's where God's grace is so important because um, we, we trust in his providence that what he's doing in the world is actually for, for our good, that he's working in spite of the evil and even using the evil things in this world to benefit his people, to benefit and grow his kingdom, which is, you know, why does it go on? And the saints cry out. I mean, in Revelation, we hear about the martyrs who are under the altar crying out, how long, O Lord, just like the psalmist does, how long until you're going to rescue me? Why don't you just destroy my enemies right now? Why don't you just put them out of my life right now? Um, how long do I have to live like this? And, and God's answer is always until I'm, until I'm done, <laughs> until I'm ready, until all my children are home, until I've gathered all my sheep. And that's a really good answer. You know, we wouldn't want, um, we wouldn't got, want God uh, to act apart from the, 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 the proper time, in the, apart from the fullness of time. Um, it's like the parable that Jesus tells about the, the field that's planted full of wheat. It's a, a wonderful field planted full of wheat and somebody, an enemy comes and sows weeds among all that wheat in the middle of the night. And they start to grow up and his servants, the master's servants say, look, there's weeds growing up among that wheat. What do you want us to do? Should we go tear up the weeds? And the master says, no, not now. Let them grow. Because if you tear them up right now, what are you going to do? You're going to tear up all kinds of wheat with them. You're going to destroy the good plants with them. Let them go and we'll sort them out on the last day. And that's precisely, precisely what God is doing. Any, raise your hand if you've got a question or, or a comment or anything. Yes, Grandpa, I'll unmute you. Oh, you might have to, oh, hang on a second. There you go, go ahead. 
doesn't the Bible teach us to be ready at any minute, basically? Yes. So how does that fly in the face of the Lord saying, there's yet something to come? Uh, well, he's, when, he, when he's talking in Matthew 24, he's talking about what's coming, especially at the crucifixion and then sending the apostles out. So he's talking about something that's about to happen right now. That's oh. what needs to happen before the end of the world comes. And I think it's a very helpful thing to say, to frame it this way and say, look, the end of the world began when Jesus was crucified. We've been in the end of the world ever since, right? It's not like a period of 24 hours or a week or a year. That's the end of time. The end of the world began at the crucifixion. The crucifixion, the crucifixion was the turning point, was the turning point for the world. For the world. Anything else? Okay, I want to keep looking at um, Matthew 24 here, just a little bit further. Um, one of the things that's confusing about Matthew 24 is that Jesus is talking about two things at the same time. He's talking about things that will come at the end of time, um, and with, meaning the time after the crucifixion. And then he's also talking about things that will happen to Jerusalem in the days ahead. So Jerusalem gets destroyed in the year 70 AD, not long after Jesus dies. Jerusalem gets destroyed. The temple gets destroyed. The Jews are scattered abroad. They can't worship in the temple anymore. And it's a terrible thing. Um, it's written about extensively by the, the Jewish historian Josephus. It was a terrible time. And I'm, I'm certain that anybody living at that time would have said, things can't get any worse than this, right? They, they would have thought this must be the end of the world. And Jesus is talking about that here. He says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So he's saying, don't stick, in, stick around in Jerusalem when, when the Romans are here to destroy it. Let the one who is on the housetop go down and take what is in his house and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. I mean, it was a terrible, terrible time. And if, uh-oh, I just got to notice that this meeting is going to end in 10 minutes because I don't have a paid version of Zoom. So we got 10 minutes left. All right. <laughs> okay, I got I to get to the point then. Okay, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says, to you, look, here is the Christ, or there is he, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the man, coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And that is a really perplexing statement, right? This, this really strange puzzle that he says at the end, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And I think that oftentimes um, we hear Jesus say things like that and we make more of them than, than there ought to be because what corpse could he possibly be talking about except his own, right? Where, where's the sign that we ought to look for of Jesus? How do we know who Jesus is? Well, it's wherever his crucified flesh and blood are. That's our salvation, his crucified flesh and blood, which are contained in the words of Holy Scripture for us, for us to eat and drink spiritually by faith. They're contained in the Lord's Supper on the altar there 
physically on the altar for us, his flesh and blood, wherever the corpse is, that's where Jesus is. Wherever his flesh and blood are, that's where Jesus is. Wherever you hear Jesus' voice speaking the truth, speaking the words of Jesus, that's where you know to go. Not to anywhere else, not to um, somebody who calls bad things good and good things bad. You go to the one who speaks the truth. And this is the last thing I want to sort of want to, to tie that together. You know, how do you, how do you see Jesus? How do you identify Jesus on the last day? How do you see Jesus when he comes again? Well, it's again, the very same way that you recognize him now it's by his word. And I, I think that, uh, there are a couple of places, a couple of ways that, um, his word is distorted by the world and we have to pay close attention. Okay. So you have, you do have to pay close attention. So what are some of the things that the world says that sound really attractive? One of the things that the world says that Jesus, uh, that is not, that is not Jesus's word is that sin is not so bad. Okay. So the world doesn't like to talk about sin at all, right? The world doesn't like to feel guilty about anything, right? And so anybody who says sin isn't sin or sin isn't so bad, you know that that person is not speaking the words of Christ, okay? That's one of the main falsehoods that we suffer from today, right? Sin isn't so bad. And then the second one is this, that the wages of sin is not death, okay? So what, is, what does Paul St. Paul say about sin? The wages of sin is death, right? That's the punishment for sin. It's not just a slap on the wrist. It's not just, you know, uh, you have a guilty conscience for a little while. It's not uh, trivial. Every sin, even the tiniest one that you commit with your little finger, right? Um, those sins are all worthy of death, right? The wages of sin is death. Sin brings God's wrath. It brings his judgment. It's on account of sin that God's judgment has come into the world. And that's, but that's, again, you know, a dreadfully unpopular notion in today's world. But that is the truth that Jesus speaks. So he speaks clearly about sin. He speaks clearly about what it is and uh, what the consequences are. And what sin is, is all, of course, tied to what God's will is. And we, re we hear that, we understand that in the Ten Commandments, right? So listen for the Ten Commandments, listen for God's judgment. But then most importantly, the third thing that the world cannot understand, that the world will never be able to proclaim, but Jesus himself proclaims, is God's mercy towards sinners, right? So suppose that the world were to appreciate sin, that uh, they said, yeah, okay, sin is terrible. You should have a guilty conscience about things. And yes, there's punishment to come. What's the world's solution to sin? Well, it's, you got to work your way out of it, or you got to do a better job, or you've got to uh, make sacrifices, offer some sort of atonement, right? You need to lead a better life and become a better person. You need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and fix yourself, right? What does Jesus say? He says, no, the sin is so severe. It's so deep inside of you that you cannot possibly do those things. And your every effort at it is going to fail and lead you into despair. And that's precisely why he has come into the world. That's precisely why there's a corpse because the wages of sin is death, but he's died the death for you. That, that third part, this third truth that Jesus speaks, that the world could never speak. That is the most important thing. That is the thing that sets Christianity apart from every other religion. It's the thing that sets the true Christ apart from false Christs, the true Christ apart from every false prophet, is that he offers forgiveness and mercy and grace freely at no cost to everyone, regardless of how you feel about yourself or how you think God ought to feel about you. Uh, his, his forgiveness is uh, completely free, completely gratuitous. Um, and nobody else can offer that. Nobody else does. And that message 
is how you recognize Jesus. So, and again, at, at the end of time and now, the way we recognize Jesus is exactly the same by listening for his word. Because just like Jesus said, his sheep, his sheep hear his voice. Okay, I, I went on and on here. Uh, anybody, we got four, I got four minutes and 16 seconds. Anybody have anything they want to say? Any questions? I, I just want to say, I hope everybody is safe and sound. And uh, thank you for uh, doing the Bible study. I, I hope more people uh, participate and think it's a good idea. Great. Thanks, Ed. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll uh, see if I can upgrade my zoom so we can have a longer bible study next time but yeah let me know if we need to do something with uh buying a subscription or whatever i would do that okay great is it expensive do we know i don't think it is um i haven't looked at it because lately uh, uh, this is the first time they've put a limit on it i've used it for confirmation and they've let me go for as long as i'd like so i think they must have um i think they must have yeah Let's see here. I'll, I'll look it up another time and uh, yeah. find out what the cost is. Yeah. Well, just let, yeah, let me know. Okay. Yeah. Anything else? It's really good to see your faces <laughs> and, to, and to hear your voices a little bit. <laughs> uh, tune in this Sunday for church. And, uh, and it, so, you know, I, I can talk on and on and on about any, any given question. So if you send me more, send me more questions, um, we can have lots of conversations. So. Thank you, and we enjoy listening to your sermons on the on on online too. I'm so glad that you're listening in up there. That's great. It's really good. Good, good. All right. Well, you take care, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you much. Bye bye. Thank you with you.